Welcome to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. My name is Michael Bond, and I will be one of your hosts today. I'm sitting here with pastors Todd Stanley and Steph McCoy. Hello, hello. Hey. So real quick, before we jump in, I want to invite you to give this podcast a five-star rating and to write us a review. We're on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Only five-star ratings. Mm -hmm. Only five-star ratings, please, and glowing reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Also, share this podcast on social media and tell your friends about it. Uh, Remember to subscribe at summitpodcast.church forward slash subscribe. This is the network where all of our Summit podcasts are distributed. Uh, Subscribing will allow you to receive email notifications every time we release new content here at Summit Church. I also want to remind you of the roundtable featuring Gerald Brooks, which will be happening here at Summit Church in the Youth Auditorium on October 9th at 10 a.m. This event is open to the public, and I encourage you to attend along with your staff uh, or any other leaders who you think might benefit from what Dr. Brooks has to say. It's always a treat to have him here, and uh, I can tell you that I'm excited for the roundtable event coming up here. Uh, So today we're going to discuss all things outreach, uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about this week in church leadership. Hey, can I just real quickly, before we jump into that, uh, say something about Dr. Brooks. If you're not familiar with uh, Dr. Gerald Brooks, uh, he is probably one of the most respected church leadership, I don't know if expert would be the right word, but I mean, he's definitely an expert, but he's one of the most respected voices in church leadership. Uh, he has his, he has an incredible podcast. He's written several books. Um, he, um, well, you know, huge names in the area of leadership, not only in the church, but like John Maxwell, you know, everyone's familiar with that name. Dr. Brooks uh, has been rubbing shoulders with John Maxwell and was a part of his organization for a long, long time, actually still sits on the board of directors for John Maxwell's um, organization. So he is well acquainted with leadership, both as a practitioner and as a a theoretician. Is that the right word? Uh, Anyway, uh, (laughs) you don't want to miss out on it. It will be an incredible resource for you and for your team. Yeah, I I can't wait. I mean, I've been to a couple of events where he's been the keynote speaker. And uh, it's always I always take away something that's valuable, something that's really going to help me with my leadership. So let's uh, speaking of leadership, let's talk about uh, this week in church leadership. So I'm really interested, Todd, in the article that uh, you had maybe brought forward about hard copy Bibles. Yeah. uh, And Steph, we didn't tell you that you had to do this. So you get off the hook for <laughs> this one. Uh, but no, I came across this article. Um, there's a, and I can, let me look, I can tell you his name. Um, Wesley Hill. He's a seminary professor and he is requiring his students to bring hard copy Bibles to class and actually is suggesting that it would be good for churches to highly encourage people to bring a hard copy Bible when they come to church. Um, he's not a Luddite. Like if you read the, if you read the article, he, uh, he uses technology. He uses, uh, specifically, he references Accordance Bible Software and the ESV Bible app and, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. It's not that he's against all of that, but there's something significant about reading off of a printed page uh, having the Bible in your hands, like he talks about how that we get familiar with the canon and with the order of the books. You know, mm-hmm. when you, can ju- you can just call it up on your phone. You don't really know where something's located in the Bible. And so mm-hmm. there's this sense that maybe you lose something in that, that, you know, the, the fact that pe- someone had to compile this, right? This had to, you know, anyway, um, I thought it was an interesting idea. I know for me personally, the reason that this resonated with me uh, is probably two or three years ago now. Um, I had read almost exclusively from an electronic Bible for a long time. And a couple of years ago now, I decided, okay, because of the distractions that a phone can bring, notifications that are coming up, all that kind of thing, I'm going to set my phone aside and for my quiet time in the morning, for my reading time in the morning, I read from a printed Bible. And there's something about the tactile experience, like you've got a book in your hands, it's something you can feel, yeah. and something that, you know, 
And at least for me, having that tactile experience keeps me rooted in that moment. Um, there's something about, you know, getting to the end of a page and turning it and the sound and the, just the, all of it, right? There's, and I found that I retain more uh, when I read that way. Uh, I feel uh, more connected to the presence of God because there are fewer distractions. I just thought it was a really interesting um, conversation that really has obviously a lot further reaching um, implications than the fact that you're not staring at a screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll just throw that out there for you guys, and maybe there are a couple of comments or uh, quotes that I'll read from the article as we go along in this, but what are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, one of the things that regularly, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say it frustrates me, but I'll go to a, like a Bible study and I'll have you version on my phone. And I feel like I have to explain to the people there that that's what I'm doing yeah. on my phone <laughs> and that I'm not just like texting or on Facebook because yeah. you can't know. I mean, yeah. when I see someone on their phone, I think, oh, that person's on Facebook. Yeah. Or, oh, that person's texting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it looks really irreverent to do it that way. And it's, <laughs> I guess it, um, it is a little frustrating because like, you know, I just did a wedding recently and, uh, for, for me, it would have been super convenient and easy to use my phone for that, but it just can't look good. I don't think I've ever seen it look good. Like, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've watched pastors officiate weddings with a phone before and it just, it doesn't, I can't shake the, the look that, oh, he's just on his phone. Um, and so there's some limitations there. Whereas like, I think you have the opposite effect when you're holding a physical Bible. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a bold declaration of what you're doing. Um, and I know that Bible making fine Bible making is a craft that I know a little something about. So like they make some really, really nice Bibles. I mean, you can, you can find them and they're not, they're expensive, but they're not as expensive as an iPhone. And so, uh, you know, for instance, the premium Bible market, the best Bibles will be made of like a goat skin leather and they'll be, they'll have the, uh, an edge line binding and uh, they're all what's called Smythe sewn together so that they're not most uh, economy books are kind of glued together and that's where they fall apart with age and that sort of thing. These Bibles will last your entire lifetime and probably your children's entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes like a keepsake that you can pass down. And uh, I mean, they're certainly going to outlast our devices. Mm-hmm. Um, really the only way that the device kind of hangs with the hard copy Bible in terms of longevity is with uh, cloud storage. Because I mean, if we lose our cloud storage, we've lost our internet. And if we've <laughs> lost our internet, having that sort of thing uh, is probably, uh, there's gonna be a for, lot of other yeah, problems. Prepare for the zombies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I think reading on, on our phones is, is so common and scripture is so uncommon, yeah. right? And so there's something beautiful about, like you said, turning the pages and opening the scripture, but from an outreach, from a missions perspective, um, there, there are the unreached people of the world or people in the world who treasure that physical Bible. Like you would not like hold your phone necessarily close to your yeah. heart, probably like, like you would a physical Bible who, like you said, they'll pass it down to generations or it's everything or you open it up and you can see how it's been worn. You know, not that the goal is to like, well, kind of is to wear out our Bible, but um, yeah, you, know, yeah. you can see like, there's something beautiful about seeing a worn Bible, you know, that's like gone through life that's has notes in it that has, you know, torn pages and yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think we don't want to, you know, it's not like we're poo-pooing technology, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the, the availability of the scriptures to, I mean, anyone with an internet connection, uh, is that's an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah. Right? We can we can get the scriptures into people's hands more quickly than we ever could mm-hmm. in the history of mankind. And that's an incredible thing. But there's also this possibility, I think, that we lose some of the 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 value and the treasure of scripture because, well, I can just pull it up on my phone anytime right. I want. Uh and so yes, like what Steph was saying about you know, a worn Bible and that kind of thing. Or, you know, you were mentioning that it will it will last for generations. I mean, I know for me, one of the treasures of my life, right, is that I have my grandfather's Bible mm-hmm. 
that he wrote notes in the margins of, and I can see the verses that he underlined or highlighted and the things that were speaking to him and things that God was doing in his heart and in his life. And, and then I'm going to be able to pass that on to my children, you know? And, um, and so I think there's a richness that can get lost there if, if we, you know, just completely abdicate to the you know to reading scripture on you know on a screen and not that you can't put notes in there but i don't know i don't get excited about thinking about my kids going through my you know esv study bible app and reading (laughs) the notes that are there i just don't think they will but if it's something that i held in my hands yeah something that i wrote yeah i wrote in with my hand it's my handwriting it's Mm -hmm. you know there's a sense of of personality and personhood and and intimacy Mm -hmm. that's there um just because of the medium and so i think that you know there's a value there that you just don't get anywhere else Right. I think you make a good point, Todd, about, uh, so the notes on like the version Bible app, um, no matter who writes them, it's in the same font yeah. and like <laughs> in the same thing, like we have the same issue with social media. You could have, uh, someone who can make a, a very lucid argument on a particular topic. And then you just have like a quack who knows nothing about the, <laughs> the particular area and their posts look the same. Like yeah, the, they have equal n- weight. Right. Yeah. And so I think that when we read our Bibles on devices, one of the things that we ends up happening is that they are the same as any other books that we have on that device. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can do things like if you have a Kindle, you can change the font to kind of make yourself feel like you're right. reading, you know, but, um, it, it does create like a more exclusive feeling whenever your Bible is your Bible and you interact with it on that level. I, yeah. And it's kind of, it, honestly, it is sort of a constant battle for me because I kind of like to just pick one way and stick with it and kind of like get good at it and yeah. kind of make it routine. And so I'm always kind of going back and forth about whether I want to jump off, you know, and, and become like a, <laughs> it makes me feel anti-technology, honestly, a lot. Like if I'm going to spend, they say, spend your money where you want to spend your time. And so if you buy a really nice Bible and it's like, okay, I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours with this Bible, interacting with this Bible. Well, that's hours I'm not going to be interacting with my apps and yeah. you know the workflow on my devices. And I get worried sometimes that I'm going to spread myself too thin in terms of like, you know, not being, not living in any one domain, if that makes sense. I might just be weird though. So other people might not have that problem. No, no, I have that problem too. But with technology too, like obviously we can listen to scripture and that is super valuable when we're in a position where maybe we're on a walk or driving and you just want to listen to it and intentionally do that. I think that's that's a benefit you know you, pr- you probably wouldn't whip out your your well-worn bible and read it while you're driving so i hope not <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's not an either or i think it's a both and yeah uh, i think it's just using the right tool for the right job right mm-hmm. you know um technology is an incredible tool when we use it in the proper way. And this isn't just about our Bible app, right? It's about the way that we engage technology, you know, all around. Like I am as guilty as anybody of being super distracted by my devices, right? Being a slave to every notification and, you know, whether it's whether it's an actual notification that's going off on my phone or that little notification in my brain that's going, hey, you should check Facebook. You know, <laughs> you should see what's going on on Instagram. You know, that kind of thing. Um, it can be as distracted as anybody. And so, you know, for me at least, when I'm engaging with the scriptures, I want there to be as little distraction as possible. And so I have to put that thing away so that I can use the proper tool for the, for that job, right. mm-hmm. you know, so that I am retaining as much of it as I possibly can so that I'm, you know, hiding the word of God mm-hmm. in my heart. And, um, and I think those are just the questions that we need to ask ourselves. I mean, you know, and, and again, it goes to way broader things than simply just reading scripture. I say simply, right. That's a huge thing. We don't, but, but it can, it can speak into every aspect of our lives, right? Is my device are my devices distracting me as a husband and a father? Mm. Are my you know am I, um, 
giving time to things that don't really have value uh, and, you know, is technology feeding into that? And how do I, you know, how do I use it properly? Uh, one of the things that I heard someone talk about was that, you know, tech, a tool is something that, you know, it's there and you go and you get it when you need it for a particular job. Mm-hmm. A, a, a hammer doesn't lay there and go, hey, there's some nails to hammer, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's but that's good. exactly what our technology does. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's this thing you should look at. And they're commodifying our attention. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, one of the things that I wrestle with, whether it's with scripture or whatever, is like, what am I giving my attention to? And am I allowing this thing to dominate my attention mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, Things that are beautiful and lovely, virtuous, oh, yeah. and of a good report, and yeah, that's a that's a man. When I really reflect on that, I, it makes me feel sick sometimes. How much attention <laughs> is just divert, like, and because a lot of the content that is taking up so much of the attention is content that's here today and gone in five minutes. Yeah, like it's not even gone tomorrow anymore. It's gone in like an hour. Like, try to find a post that you saw an hour ago if you didn't save it. Like, you know, it's it can be challenging, and so. Uh, what do you think about this from, so we've talked a little bit about this topic from the devotional perspective. What do you think about it from like the presentation perspective or the teaching perspective? Uh, there's been a little bit of consternation about how prominent Apple devices have become in our preaching, you know, not, 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 not just here, but like in, in the big C yeah, church, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, pastors ha- always have an iPad or, you know, MacBook, whatever it is. Um, they look good from, from, uh, stage. I, I do say so myself. The, the, the MacBooks and the, the Apple devices are very nice looking They're devices. Attractive, yeah. And so <laughs> do you think that, uh, are we reading too much into that? Uh, or do you think that a compelling uh, preacher or teacher can use either or and just be fine? Or do you think that there's a little bit of extra weight or impact whenever you see someone, you know, walking on stage with an open Bible? Well, first of all, I think for every Apple product that is presented in a sermon, Apple should tithe to hey. that local church. I like it. I like <laughs> As it. A yeah. Promotional. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I feel like I don't seem to be bothered. Maybe I haven't thought much about it, but when I see someone with a, a laptop or, or an iPad, I'm just like, there, there are ways. Maybe this is from teaching experience, not that much, but like there are ways to organize my notes right. that. I I would probably be it's not impossible but I would be a little bit more stressed out if I was like had my note papers over here and the scripture yeah. over here it's not impossible but I just feel like for my format and thinking it through I don't really think much difference. So I'm old enough and I've been doing this long enough that I uh I actually used paper notes back in you know so uh so the thing is even even when I was going up to the pulpit, um, the, the podium, the lectern, whatever you guys want to call it, you know, whatever non-churchy word you prefer, uh, but you know, I would go up to preach, and I would have my Bible, and I would have paper notes. Right now, the scriptures that I was going to read were printed on my paper notes. <laughs> right, you were tricking them. I, you know, I rarely read directly from the pages of my Bible because it's it was easier to stay on one page than to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, you know, the Apple device, the whatever, you know, it's replaced my paper notes. Right. Um, I could carry my Bible up there. Yeah. But I'm going to read what's on this, you know, right. on my notes. Yeah. And so um, that's that's where I come from as as a preacher, as someone who's sitting in the auditorium in the congregation. Um, the fact that someone's reading it off of their device doesn't diminish the weight of the words of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, I've just advocated for people to bring their paper paper Bibles to <laughs> <Yeah>. church, right? <laughs> uh, and then I'm going, but the pastor he doesn't have to. <laughs> uh, but but just from a, from strictly from a, a a speaking standpoint and being able to give your attention to one thing rather mm-hmm. than going back yeah. and forth. There's value in that. Right. Um, and maybe it's because I'm of a certain age that it doesn't bother me. Maybe those who are maybe a little older than me would feel like, oh, well, this gives some weight to the pastor. But 
if I if I I, I feel like that if I'm only going to give weight to the words that he says if he brings a big family Bible up onto the stage with him. Yeah, kind of holds it up before he... Yeah. Uh, I feel like I feel like there's a disconnect there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not it's not the fact that he's got that book in his hands that gives authority to those words, right? It's the fact that they are the words of God. Right. And to me, it doesn't matter what surface those are read from. Right. I, I agree. And, and honestly, it's just easier a lot of times, you know, like I tried to use paper at this wedding and, and the wind picked up and like <laughs> I had a rock sitting on top of them at one point, like for the rehearsal and it was, it didn't look good. And so I was just yeah. like, well, I'm, I'm using a laptop, like I'm using a Mac and, um, and it was just easier. And I think that probably, you know, maybe there was a time in history where the argument was being made, oh, well, if you have a Bible that comes from a uh, printing press, that's so impersonal compared to an ink pot. And, you know, like whatever it is, like it, I, I, I think that there's some nostalgia at play. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, I don't know. I I don't have a conclusive thought on this, I guess, which is why I go back yeah. and forth on it because I think both of those, all those points are pretty good. Well, I, I do think that there are times when the ceremony of an event calls for something that looks a little more formal. And so you don't want to be standing there with a phone or, um, you, you know, just a bare iPad. But there are, like, if you're going to use an iPad or a tablet, I don't want to be advertising for Apple this whole time. If you're going to use your <laughs> tablet... Um, <laughs> You know, they they make really nice looking leather bound covers that look like a book actually. That mm-hmm. so it looks really formal and nice. You know, you want to you want to be aware of your surroundings and and that kind of thing. And and you know, sometimes the like I said, the the formality of an event, the ceremony of an event calls for something that that looks a little more formal. Um, so just prepare for those kinds of things. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the wind. If you're doing an outdoor wedding, I mean that's kind of that's tough. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if we would feel differently though if we were in a room full of people that did bring their their hard paper Bibles to church and there was not scripture on the screen. Like if from a teaching perspective, it would seem different. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the if the if we didn't put the the text on the screens, yeah, yeah. I mean. And again, I'm old enough to remember when they didn't, right? When there was, and and so yeah, the everyone had to. I mean, when the pastor said, "Turn in your Bibles yeah. to pay," you know, to John chapter twelve or whatever, then everybody turned in their Bibles. And again, that goes back to what I was part of what the article was saying that people learn how the canon is organized. They mm-hmm. learn where things are in the Bible, yeah. and those are important skills to have. Yeah, um, and they're really kind of lost. Um, in, in in a lot of places because we don't ever handle paper Bibles. Yeah, for sure. So um, I was reading through an article in uh, Christianity Today that carried the headline, In Our Rejection of the Prosperity Gospel, Are We Missing God's Provision? And it kind of got me thinking, are we putting too much emphasis on humility and modesty, so much so that we've kind of created an economy of prestige around who can show themselves to be the most modest and the most humble? So, for instance, uh, I think the, the guy in the article said that uh, he was in a situation where he had a, a car that was like a good deal on a car, and he needed a car, and it was actually one of the cheaper options for him, but it was a BMW, and he was a preacher. And so he was like, ah, do I do this? Do I buy this? Like in objective reality, that's the best deal for him to get. And he's actually being the most fiscally responsible by doing it. But the brand is there. Right. And so is it like, when do we know whether we've, I think this, the same vein of argument, argumentation probably applies to like the come as you are, uh, mindset. So I've been in some churches that kind of started out as come as you are. And then they became, if you dress nice here, that's not okay. Um, and so what do you think about all this? Like, are we, are we, are we aspiring towards a view of, uh, humility rather than to right relationship with God in these kinds of situations? Well, you drive drive a Honda Civic, so you're the most humble of them all. (laughs) Yes. Yes. This is true. (laughs) Oh, oh, so I, many Mormon joke opportunities. I I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, we I can d- probably I edit that out. It's hard for me because if, if I had to choose between humility 
and 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 trusting in the prosperity gospel or the provision of God. I feel like Jesus chose humility. But that's a very not thought out statement just now. I was more focused on your Honda Civic. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I think it's a false dichotomy, to be honest. I don't think that we have to choose between God's provision and humility. Uh the prosperity gospel, that's a whole other conversation that really doesn't have anything to do with God's provision. Mm-hmm. Um, the fallacy of the prosperity gospel is not in its tendon, not in its espousing that God provides for us, because that's all throughout Scripture. That is biblical in every way. The fallacy of the prosperity gospel is God wants to make you rich. Mm. And really, God wants to make the preacher rich is is what prosperity gospel devolves into. And that is a completely extra-biblical, unbiblical, like, it's a whole other conversation. Humility and the provision of God go hand in hand, and then I would actually say that the provision of God leads to humility— Because when we recognize that it's God who is providing for us, not the strength of our own hands, Mm -hmm. not how smart I am, not how, you know, not any of those kind of things, that it's God who is providing for me. It's God who has met my needs. It's God who is my source. It's God who is my sustainer. It's God who, you know, when, when my understanding of the blessing that I have received is firmly placed on Jesus... That leads to humility because it, it kills pride. Uh, because then I recognize, man, even the gifts that I have, even the ability that I have, the strength that I have in my hands, the 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 you know the cunning that I, the cunning mind that I have, the sharp mind that I have, whatever you know, all of those things mm-hmm. are directly from the hand of God. So I don't have any place to boast in those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. I would say that provision and humility actually go hand in hand, and the prosperity gospel is a distortion that is completely outside of the realm of that conversation. So, do you think that uh, there are? Do you think that there are times where Christians look at certain things and think prosperity gospel maybe inappropriately, like they're misrepresenting an idea? So, for instance, you can think of the mega church. Um, there's probably Christians who will look at a mega church and think, oh, prosperity gospel, just because of, you know, multi-million dollar building, mm-hmm. uh, big budgets, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you're on the outside and you don't understand the way that, you know, those big budgets work and how a lot of that is put back out into the community and all of this, um, it can be easy to fall into that way of thinking. So do you, what would you say to Christians who would think maybe that something has to look uh, has to look old and inexpensive or uh, has to look modest in order to be modest? And like, where's the trap that they're falling into when it comes to that? Oh, man, so first, the first thing I would say is that there is never a place in Scripture where it is said that it is evil or wicked or sinful for us to prosper right? Uh, in, in any regard, right? Whether it be in terms of our health, whether it be in terms of our family, whether it be in terms of our financial situation, there's nothing in Scripture that says that it is sinful for us to prosper. What Scripture does say is that we should prosper even as our soul prospers. And so if I am chasing after and, and really, we're talking about financial prosperity when we start talking about the prosperity gospel and those kind of distortions. So if I am chasing after financial prosperity at the expense of my soul prospering, well, then I've got a, I've got a Savior other than Jesus, right? Because I'm trusting in mm-hmm. my financial capacity to save me. Uh, you know, and so that really comes down to the issues in every person's heart. I mean, look— there are people who have very little money who are slaves to the God of money, right? Who are worshiping at the altar of money because they are, you know, if I only had a little bit more, then I could be happy. If I only, mm-hmm. And there are people who uh, have 
lots and lots of money who are worshiping at that same altar, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's not a matter of how much or how little we have that makes us holy or unholy. Right. It is whether or not we are lorded over by that thing, whether or not, like, if I have much, how would I react if I lost it tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Would I still love Jesus? Would I still cling to Christ? Would I still trust in his provision? Right? If and if that is the case, if my affections are ordered properly, then it doesn't matter how little or how much I have. I mean, the Apostle Paul spoke to that directly, right? He said, I have had little and I've had plenty. I've been, you know, and he goes through this whole list of things. And then he and then we find the most misquoted verse of all time, right? Right after that whole list of things. I've had much and I've had little. I've been oppressed and I've had, you know. And then he says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so the, the context of that scripture is that it doesn't matter if I have a little or a lot. It doesn't matter what my circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what tomorrow may hold. Christ is who sustains me. I can face all of this because I know who he is, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know, and, um, and we, you know, we always quote that verse as if like, you know, my ball team is going to win because, you yeah. know, or if, I, I can, I, you know, I tell people all the time, like, I'm not going to play in the NFL no matter how many times I quote Philippians 4.13. It's just not going to happen, right? You'd be a kicker. Is that, okay. <laughs> so, but because that's not the context. It's not what it's about. What it is about is that Christ is my source no matter what I'm facing in my life. And if we live with that perspective, it doesn't matter how little or how much we have. We recognize that, look, my... My righteousness is not based in those things. Mm-hmm. It's not based in anything I've done. It's based in Jesus. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there is that right relationship with God helps establish right relationship with wealth and prosperity so that it doesn't kind of become all consuming and take over and become an idol. And uh, yeah, I think that's really good. And um, I think that uh, I'd actually like to start seeing churches spend more money on, on, uh, building beautiful buildings like you know so i some of the old cathedrals uh would take multiple generations to finish and that might be because they didn't have the technology to finish it you know in the way that we can today sure. uh but the entire cities would spend all of their excess capital building these these massive cathedrals and they did it out of a sense i, th- I there's probably different points of view and different perspectives on why they did it <laughs> um but i like to think that they did it be- out of <laughs> out of a reverence, you know, out of like, uh, uh, to, to, to facilitate the inspiration of awe when you walked in. And, uh, maybe that's because they thought that the presence of God was only in the building. And so they wanted to reflect that and, you know, whatever it is. But I just think that, um, one of the reasons why churches won't do that today is because they don't want to appear like they're being wasteful. They don't yeah. want to appear like they're not using those resources to for benevolence or to help the community. But I'm not really sure where I fall on that. You know, I think that it is important to, uh, I think art and beauty are important and they're part of the creative expression of, of who we are in the image of God. And so do you have any thoughts as far as whether or not churches should spend significant portions of their budgets on uh, making a building that has more than what is just needed to do ministry, but is more of like a piece of art itself. Uh, man. I mean, I think, I think art and beauty are important. And I definitely think that the church should be a place where creativity and artistic expression, um, are, are flourishing I think in terms of how each each congregation, each church community spends its resources, that honestly is an issue that they have to wrestle with within their community. What is God calling them to do? Um, and so now that that doesn't mean that there isn't opportunity for critique and that there shouldn't be. I mean, we we have to hold each other accountable. 
uh, we have to, you know, uh, be humble in our approach, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, now we often do those things in the wrong way. I don't think like blasting the church cross town on social media because you think they spent too much on their building is either helpful or Christ-like. Uh, you know, you'd be much better suited to actually have a relationship with somebody who is a part of that congregation and ask them about it and find out what their heart is and why mm-hmm. they did what they did. And, you know, the, and so I think those are things to kind of wrap this up. Cause I'm talking a long time about it. it was, those are things that every congregation has to, to wrestle with and reckon with on their own. What, mm-hmm. what is God calling them to do? Who is God calling them to be? I do think that there is a point at which um, you have, you know, gone beyond the pale, so to speak. Like mm-hmm. if if you're not able to help your community or meet people's needs or f- partner with missionaries on an you know in another country or you know uh, pay your staff well, if if you're not able to do those things because you're building poor. Well, that's not wise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're able to do all of those things and have a beautiful building, that go right ahead. Mm-hmm. And in a similar way, sometimes you don't always know where uh, uh, the beauty or the building has come from. Like, what if a church has just inherited this yeah. beautiful building? Mm-hmm. Or in the same sense, for on a personal level, like. I don't know if this is going off track, but like, what if, what if you've been gifted a BMW, you know, to go back to that Mm -hmm. example, but it's hard, um, especially maybe from a pastoral perspective to be like, do I accept this? Like, yes, Mm -hmm. I want to accept it. It's a gift. And do I drive this around because of the connotations and perceptions that come with branding and, uh, a major beauty, you know, in, in terms of a church building and things like that. Oh yeah, it definitely would be, I I hear what you're saying, Steph, like it's a mistake to look at just because someone has a nice possession or has a nice thing that that means that they got that thing out of a place of greed or out of a place of, right. And it could be the case that it was just given to them or that, or that they worked and saved a long time to Mm -hmm. get that one thing. And so they have a very high appreciation of it as opposed to somebody who maybe has lots of nice things and doesn't appreciate the things that they have. Their spirit would be a little bit different there. Yeah, and I think I think we have to ask ourselves why, right? Why, if if I want to drive a BMW, for example, to kind of go along, keep on that line, why do I want to drive a BMW? Is it because I'm convinced that it's a superior vehicle, that it's going to last a long time, <laughs> that it's going to be reliable, that it's going to, you know, or... Is it because it says BMW on it, and I think that people are going to see that and then assume something about me? Is there a good or bad, right? Uh, is is my sense of identity tied to that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If if my sense of identity and value is tied to it, well, then that's that's problematic. Uh, and and on on either end of that, right? You talked about the false humility thing. If I'm, you know, if I'm driving. Uh, you know, a really modest vehicle because I want to appear modest. Well, that's just as problematic as driving a really expensive one so that I appear, right. you know, to be affluent. Yeah. Um, and so those, we try to make it a a black and white thing. Like you can have this and you can't have this and you can do this and you can't do that. Is it? It's about your heart. And then that will begin to that will begin to reveal itself outwardly, right? And when we're transformed from the inside out, it does it will have a marked effect on the way that I live in the world. It will have an effect on the things that I purchase. It will have an effect on the way that I interact with things. But those things aren't the problem. The problem is my heart. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can look at somebody and go oh, well, they must be really humble because they drive a Hyundai. But if they're driving, you know, if they're driving that modest vehicle because they want to appear modest, well, they're not modest at all. They're not humble at all. It's like I tell people, like, if if I could go through an entire day and not sin, right? 
And then at the end of the day, I go, yes, I did not sin today. <laughs> You've lost it. Yeah. <laughs> I just like pride all like I just like I blew it at the end of the day. Pride yeah. jumps up and I blow it. Right. So th- we. We just get so caught up on the things. Yeah. Somebody and, said somebody said once that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. That yeah. C.S. Really Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. It's always C.S. Lewis. Gotta be C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. If when in doubt, just say C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for sure. It's, it's crazy how many of these things, the the uh, the minutia of these things, how, how you can cut through it just by not assuming the worst about somebody. Yeah. And it's so that's, man, that's really good. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about outreach and like, what does outreach look like? Uh, in this age, and I hate, I hate to say COVID-19, everyone's so tired of hearing it, uh, <laughs> but that's just the, the fishbowl we're swimming in for a while. Uh, what does outreach look like in this new uh, era of church ministry? And what does it look like maybe even for like smaller churches that aren't, that can't budget for that? What, what happens in a situation where you have a minister who's over a church and he's really focused on what he's got to do on the weekends in the church at the Bible study, Sunday school, all this stuff that he's got to do on location that the thought of outreach or the thought of going out is just like, uh, like, you know, if I do it at all, it's probably going to be mediocre because I can't put the time into it. Mm -hmm. So where are we at on these things? Yeah, honestly, for me, COVID-19, at least that initial lockdown of March of 2020, actually um, kind of catapulted Summit Church, at least, to to where we are now because we were in a position where um, a lot of churches, and this is not wrong, but a lot of outreach is done more of an events-based approach. And that's one way to gather people and to get them to serve and to mobilize them. But when COVID hit and everybody was locked down in their house, and we knew there were still needs. There were still ways to serve. Hospitals need masks. You know, the elderly person down the street didn't couldn't go get groceries because it was too risky to go into a store and all those things. It was like this epiphany moment where I realized equipping the saints of the ministry was and is so vital and valuable. Yeah. Um, so I feel like for for the pastor that has to focus on so many other aspects of ministry and preaching and leading. Um, The biggest thing that COVID has taught us, at least me personally, is that we have to equip the saints and we have to equip the the people in our church to see and meet needs and run with the passions that God has given them, but provide that culture and provide that space to say, do it, you know? And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you in on this conversation today. For those of you who don't know, uh, we may not have mentioned at the beginning, Steph is our um, outreach and missions pastor here at Summit Church. And I am really super excited about some of the things that we're doing Mm -hmm. in that shift. Like, uh, if you could talk about, maybe talk about the Serve app or talk about how uh, small groups are serving in their neighborhoods and mm-hmm. things like that, because those are things that are super scalable. Yeah. And small rural churches can take these things and apply them just as effectively mm-hmm. as a, a larger congregation. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So uh, like I said, this this uh, thinking, this way of thinking began with COVID, but also as people would go through our um serving pipeline, which we call growth track. Uh, I would meet with people who, you know, would want to be a part of serving and outreach. And and there was no structure beyond me talking to them and saying, what are your passions? What are the needs that you see? What's your availability? (laughs) And so anyway, um, we just got to this point where it was like, we want to be able to say yes to the ways that people want to serve the community but with a level of, of leadership trust in that person, yeah. you know, with uh, them having an investment and involvement in history with the church, um, but also a way that they are all still feel supported um, in their dreams and the things they want to do, but it, it doesn't totally depend on Summit Church. And so the Serve app is actually a Church of the Highlands arc type resource that can be downloaded anywhere. Um, Google Play, right. Apple, Apple Store, yep. um, type in Serve Day or type in Serve App, it comes up. Um, but it, the, the best part about the Serve App is that um, when people create an account, they can also have the ability to just create a project. So there's not much administrative like maintenance when it comes to like 
oh, okay, this person, for us, we we want members of the church to lead outreach, people right. who have identified as members. And so I don't have to go in and give people different permissions and have them do this. It's like, nope, they have an account, they have the app, they create a project. And then once that project is created, that serve opportunity, it has to be approved by an administrative person. Does yeah. that make sense? And so we've seen people like with so many different ideas. And that's the most beautiful part is people coming with ideas that I would have never thought of um, <laughs> that got, and I'm not passionate about either. Right. Yeah. Like for example, um, someone came and said, Hey, the, I feel like our, our community views uh, sorority life and Greek life, college students in, in a bad way. And I, I know my heart breaks for them and I want them to know God and I want to build a relationship for them. So can we start doing homemade meals for them every Sunday? Right. And I'm like, yeah, we can. We can you put it on the serve app. Or oftentimes churches do a lot of drives and, and that can be done there as well. So it could be like small acts of kindness type things or um, actual serving people, right? Or it could be, you know, drives and things like that. So we have that approach, but we also have outreach small groups. And this, funny enough, was actually stemmed from when we planned to do missions trips in 2020 and none happened, <laughs> um, we were thinking, well, how can we impact our community and our neighbors right where we are, right? Yeah. Well, small groups is a great place to start. But um, having some type of structure within these groups that is outreach focused, but not forfeiting the community focus. Because we, we can have a lot of outreaches or initiatives where we go into a nursing home and uh, we just do this interest sign up. All right, we're going to a nursing home, adopt a resident or go here once a month. But if there's no community aspect within the group, um, people fall out. First of all, they don't know what they're signing up for, how long. Um, so in a, in a small group semester-based approach, they know, okay, we are, um, this is my commitment and these are the people that I am serving with. And it's almost a, a space to debrief and process as well, if that makes sense. So, yeah. And so just to kind of touch on the serve app a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so like, let's say you're a pastor at a small church mm -hmm. What I'm understanding is they, they don't have to be the one to input all of that data. Right. They don't have to be the one to put in all those projects. Exactly. Like someone in their church who's passionate about something can propose a project and put all of that information in the serve app. And then that, that pastor or whoever's administrating it just has to just approve it. Approve it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then the person who, you know, who God laid on their heart to do this thing can then just run with it. Yeah, they can run with it. And that's a really beautiful part of it is like, you don't have to bring in someone on your website to put this up. Like it's all on the serve app. So you don't have to, oh, someone needs to make a graphic for this outreach and now we need to promote it here. It's just like, nope, you go to the serve app and that's where everything is. Yeah. And it can be, I mean, I was, you know, I was looking through our, uh, projects the other day and I mean it's it's crazy how big a variety of things that there are and the things that people you know want to do to serve yeah, others like yeah. I mean I, did, I noticed like um, there's a blessing at a laundromat right where we're you know people are just going to go put quarters in the machines for people so that they can wash their clothes yeah. and just bless them in that way yeah. or there's one where people are writing thank you notes to medical professionals mm -hmm. and first you know uh, what's the frontline workers yeah. in our community just say, Hey, thank you for what you do. And there's not a huge time commitment for that. Right. I mean, you can go and you're going to get together with a group of people and write notes for about an hour yeah. and then deliver those to mm -hmm. those frontline workers. And, you know, and so like there are things that are as small as that to, you know, things as big, you know, where, you know, you're going to, it's going to take a, a, a while to finish the project. I mean, right. it can be, the scale is, as big or small as you want as to make it. As big as you can, or yeah, whatever you can imagine, you can you can facilitate it. It's really cool. Yeah, it's super fun. And I think like one of the coolest parts that God's been teaching me is there are already people in our church that are serving in different ways. So for example, I, I met with someone recently who had been involved in different event outreaches that we've done. And I, I realized, okay, this woman is going to the local food pantry once a month, leading that, heading that up and, you know, distributing food to people in our community. And I just had this epiphany. She's already going. Why don't we just add this as a project on the yeah. serve app and people can see it's an opportunity and because they need help and right, they can go right. along with her. And so that's been really fun. But, you know, it, it helps to have maybe whether it's the pastor or, or someone in the church who loves missions. I've read a book recently that says, 
uh, 10% of the people in your church are probably missions minded. So they wake <laughs> up thinking, how can I serve? Yeah, Who can yeah. I bless? And those things. So find the 10% in your church that are, that are waking up dreaming of how they can serve people and let them be the one to just start talking to people in your, if you trust them, <laughs> start yeah. talking to people in your church about like, where do you work or where do you volunteer? What are the needs that you see? And it's really fun how you start, you start to see God connecting all of the dots. You know, yeah. like I talked with someone who volunteers with CYS and she wants to lead a foster care support group for parents, a uh, foster care parents support group. And then I, two weeks later, I talked to someone that wants to do the same thing, but doesn't want to do it alone. And I was like, I know someone, yeah. I know someone you can do it with. And so it's really amazing. I think how God is already orchestrating those things and we just get to connect the dots. But. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is, you know, just having someone who will champion that, Yeah, you know, so like, you know, obviously you're on staff here at the church, but mm -hmm. I mean, you do a whole lot more than, than just champion the serve app. But, mm -hmm. but I mean, just having somebody who's talking about it and yeah. who's out there, you know, can champion that. And so like, if you're a pastor at a small church, let's say you got 50 people in your church. If 10% of your church are mission minded people, that means there's five people in your church that want to be engaged in missions. Yeah. And so if you've got five people in your church, five people can do a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. And especially if even just one or two of those people are the kind of people who will talk to other people and get yeah. them plugged in and involved. And you, you can have an, a massive impact in your community with five people, mm -hmm. you know? And so these are the kinds of things that I know, you know, I grew up in a smaller church. I, I've, I've sat with pastors, you know, who feel overwhelmed because being a single solo pastor is hard work. And so, you know, sometimes you just, the the size of the need or the the size of the mountain right you feel like it's just too much and you can't make any progress or any headway man these are the kinds of things that that can help you to facilitate that mm -hmm. uh and and really make a big impact you know um sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking if if i could just put better programs together or if i could if I could just preach a little better or if I just had this worship leader or if I just had, you know, and we play those kind of if, if, if kind of things. And the, the reality is that the impact that the people in our congregation can have is far greater than my impact as a single pastor would ever, ever, ever be. Yeah. And so focus on those things. And this is the kind of thing that can really take that to the next next level. Yeah. Right, right, definitely. Like a decentralized process, a decentralized effort um, is always more uh, powerful. I mean, that's really even how computers work, too. They just decentralize the information processing. It's, mm -hmm. it's built into the way reality is. And so I think in the same way with outreach, um, the serve app allowing being that vehicle that allows that process to be decentralized so that each individual can take on the responsibility of right. taking on a project. And that, that's a really good idea. I think that's really good. Yeah. And generosity is contagious too, right? And yeah. so we see generosity in, in the way that we serve. But when what I have noticed, whether it's the outreach small groups that we have or the people doing stuff on the serve app, when it is their idea, they run with it. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what the resources are. If they know like the church is behind them spiritually and, and in a supportive way, like they're, they're going to run with it. And so oftentimes it's just talking through, let's figure out a good strategy to help you win, yeah. you know? Um, so that's been the best part is like letting it be their ideas, what God has spoken to them or the needs that these, they see. If they're a teacher in their school, they're going to see needs that only they will see, you know? Yeah. And the reality is that if you can equip and facilitate people to serve in the ways that they're passionate about, they're going to see and feel that investment that you've made in them. And then they're going to be a whole lot more willing to come mm -hmm. alongside you and the things that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. You know, and so like if you're having trouble getting people to serve in your church, maybe it's because you're not facilitating and equipping them to do the things that God has placed in their heart. Mm -hmm. And so then... Look, I, 
this is going to sound harsh, but the reality is they're going to go, why should I do what you want me to do when you don't seem to care about the things that I want to do? You know, and so, yeah. And not that we intended this to be an advertisement for the serve app, but, you know, <laughs> so how it's do just you, a um, massive tool. It's incredible. How do you, uh, how do you uh, keep unity and vision um, while also empowering people to serve in the way that they are passionate about that's maybe unique to them? Like, how do you prevent it? So say, because I get what you're saying and I agree with it, Todd, like a person's not go if a person's not empowered to do the things that they're interested in doing, they're probably unlikely to just be like, oh, well, I'll do what you're interested in me doing. Yeah. Um, so how do you, uh, how do you push them along towards what it is that they want to do without creating too many branches on the overall vision of the church? Or do you think that it doesn't have to, do you think that having branches in terms of outreach and service, do you think that those things don't really impact the vision of the church? I mean, I think they impact the vision of the church, and Steph can maybe speak to this a little bit more, but we have to always focus on the why, not to not to go all Simon Sinek on us, but mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be about the why, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so to go back to the example of of the, the, the lady in our church who's cooking home-cooked meals for people in the sororities and fraternities, like the Greek, Greek lunches that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... If I'm making those dinners because I want to hang out with sorority people or fraternity people, well, that's that's not a very compelling reason, mm-hmm. right? But if my why is to develop relationship with them, to let them know that they are loved, and to hopefully bring them to the knowledge of Christ, well, that's that's compelling, right? And that's completely in line with the vision of the church, uh, because if the vision of your church isn't to introduce people to Jesus, you're not a church. <laughs> I mean, let's yeah. just, you know. And so we can facilitate that in all kinds of ways. We just have to understand why we're doing it mm-hmm. and then approach it with that in mind mm-hmm. and, and and not let the thing be the end mm-hmm. in and of itself, yeah. but it be the means to to where we're headed. Yeah, and I think along those lines, the the reason why I think a few advocates are so important in building this culture is because it can become it can become about the serving opportunity, and it's not meant to be. Yeah. You know, whether it's an outreach group that is serving consistently or a one time opportunity, having conversations with the leaders is is currently what my job consists of, and it's the most fun part. Is like continuing to to express the why behind everything because if not it'll just look like a bunch of random acts of kindness depending on what's being done you know and i don't want to lead a church that's just doing kind things granted the kind things can lead to right the knowledge of christ and relationship and all of that but it has to be a, a consistently talked about i think especially with those who are leading the project and that's why we do have that leadership structure that is it's new like all of this is new we are building the culture right now we have not been doing we just launched the serve app in in like june so yeah so it's a it's a constant process of of building the culture and one of the things that i think is amazing is that it, it can it can start not the serve app necessarily but the the culture can start uh, in the leaders, but also sometimes in the, in the message in the pulpits or wherever it is on stage that is just reinforced and constantly focusing on outside of the church, if that makes sense. Yeah. What are some uh, benefits that you've seen in terms of, let's say, like edifying the spirit of the person who's serving, of the person who's serving in outreach? Uh, what are some ways that you've seen, I, I hate to use the word return on investment, but it kind of is like a return yeah. on investment uh, in terms of a church that is healthy when it comes to missions and out, outreach versus a church that doesn't emphasize that sort of thing. And what are the consequences of being the kind of church that thinks like, oh, well, we just need the right preacher or we just need the right worship leader. If we have those things, then we, you know, outreach, we don't really need to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you know, I want to build my own kingdom kind of thing, mindset, whatever that is. Like, uh, what are the benefits that you've seen for Christians who have gotten on the ground and who have started serving and who have started getting involved with outreach? And what are the consequences, do you think, for the churches that are not uh, attaching as much importance to that sort of thing? 
Well, I, I think there are a ton of benefits. Like to the person who organized the serving opportunity, for one thing, dude, when when one person comes to know Christ because of the initiative that they took, that is massive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, I mean, you see people come alive in that and go, oh my goodness, you know, I like I felt like this was what I was supposed to do, and now look what happened, mm-hmm. you know? Or um, when you get to be an answer to somebody's prayer, like yeah. you, you know, if you're working for the food pantry and you deliver food to somebody who, you know, it, Maybe they were praying, God, I don't know how we're going to get groceries this week or wh- whatever the case may be. Like you, you physically get to be the answer to somebody's prayer mm-hmm. that, that encourages somebody's faith so much. It, it changes us. Like when we're able to engage in that and experience the joy of engaging in the work of God. I mean, those are incredible things. Mm-hmm. And then just from a, from an administrative standpoint, look, your people are vastly more creative than you're going to be able to be on your own to be able to leverage those things. I mean, Steph talked about like there are things that are going on now that none of us on our team would have ever thought of, but now they're happening in our community because mm-hmm. somebody said, Oh, you know, I want to do this. Yeah. And all we had to do was go, yeah, go do that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know? And so those kinds of things. Uh, and then, especially for those of you who are serving pastoring in smaller churches and maybe you feel like you don't have the financial capacity to do some of the things that you want to do. The beauty of a lot of these things is they cost next to nothing. Mm -hmm. And then honestly, a lot of them, the church isn't even having to subsidize these Mm -hmm. small groups and these people, they just feel passionate about it and they go put their own resources to use. I mean, and there's a blessing in that as well for those people because there's an investment that's there, and then they see God do something, and they go, man, that how, how can I do this again? How can I do this more? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think we want, we want these things to, to point to Christ, and we want to point to the local church for sure. But I didn't want to build a culture where it felt like if it can't happen through Summit, then it yeah. can't happen. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of the major benefits is like, Clearly, we want to do things in partnership with the local church, um, but we can we can serve whether it's on the serve app or not. We've yeah. had people say, yeah. like, "Hey, I've I've said, you know, do you want to put this opportunity to go serve this person on the serve app, or you know, build a porch for someone?" And they're like, "No, it's okay. I already got people to do it." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sad, but that's awesome." You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, but uh, another major uh, thing is a benefit is that people begin. Uh, to see the ones they're serving and even the ones they're serving with, with the eyes of God, there is a perspective shift that I think happens um, whenever it's, it's their idea, you know, and they've run with it, but also um, just this awareness that I think people start living with, with being present to the people around them and not, and not just seeing everything as a project, but like, Oh, there's a person in front of me and maybe I, I was serving them with food at the food pantry, right? But I'm realizing as I'm talking with them that there are other things going on in their life and now I have an opportunity to pray for them or, you know, all of these things happen. So I think an awareness and a, and a living present to the, to the needs that are around them, the people around them, but also seeing them with the eyes of God, that it is more than just a need that's in front of them, like it is a person. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that perspective shift happens on the receiving end of it too, to yeah. some degree. So like you, you have people who pillory the church all the time, like, oh, you know, any, they latch on, like the same sort of polemicists that like latch on to any kind of corruption or any kind of story that happens uh, within the church. It's like, oh, see, the church is greedy. The church is corrupt. The church mm-hmm. is this or that. Um, sometimes those people just need to be reached by someone who's attempting to serve them or wants to show them Christian love. Like the, the argumentation isn't going to get to them, but Mm -hmm. just the expression of love and Mm self-sacrifice speaks to them at a deeper level than any kind of preaching or any kind of worship can get to because of what they've put, they've put over themselves. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good in that way. Yeah. So, um, I think we're probably getting to a point where we probably need to wrap this up, but I wanted to, um, you know, maybe 
make sure we have some practical things that people can take away from this. So number one, um, we'll link to the serve app, uh, in the show notes and description or on YouTube or on your podcast. We'll, we'll make sure that you guys know how you can get that. I mean, obviously, honestly, it's just as simple as searching in the app store for serve app, but, uh, we'll link to that, uh, for those of you who are interested. And then also, uh, I'm going to put Steph on the spot. If you've got questions about outreach, things that, you know, feel free to reach out to her. It's just Steph at summitpa.church. S-T-E-F. S-T-E-1-F. That's right. (laughs) S-T-E-F at summitpa.church. And I know that uh, she would be glad to talk to you about that. Um, And man, I just want you guys to feel encouraged to know that it doesn't take a huge budget. It doesn't take, uh, you know, you don't have to be the creative and driving force behind it all. You you can just be someone who facilitates these things and mm-hmm. see what your people will do and what, you know, they'll run with it. And um, you can be incredibly impactful in your communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we can do things at a larger scale, but there is a sense of community whenever we do things, even at a smaller scale. Yeah. Um, and so the these opportunities present that. And yeah, I'll, I'm free to talk at all to anyone who wants to talk all things outreach. Um, and I've got the tools for the, the serve app. You do have to create an account like for your church yeah. before, you know, the app is ready. You can get the app anytime, but in order to see the projects that are like being led by your church, um, it's a great way to invite people from other churches to serve along with you. It doesn't yeah. have to be just your church. So yeah. Wow. This has been really good. Steph McCoy, Todd Stanley. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast. Uh, Just go ahead and rate us, review us wherever you're at, share it, social media, all the stuff. And thank you for listening and we will see you in the next episode.